first say that I uh, thank you for allowing us to be here to share with you. It's been a privilege to be traveling with um, Lance, uh, my son Neil, and um, we call him Commodore Guzik. It's nice to be here with the Commodore. <laughs> In continuing this theme of discipleship, I want to talk about um, sort of the two ingredients of discipleship, the cost and the reward. Uh, David talked a little bit about it. He said, um, blessed are the poor. That's the cost. But then he goes on to talk about the reward. You know, theirs is the kingdom of, the, of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn. And, and you know, and I know, we all know as believers, there's this, there's this sense of tension and this cost that follows you all through the journey. But there's also a great reward. So we're going to talk a little bit about the cost, a little bit about the reward. Lance talked about it as he mentioned those young men who would just pay whatever cost it was to follow, to be in the dust, so to speak. But the great reward of when the disciple would be made and the rabbi would look and say, follow me. The reward. In Leviticus, don't turn there, there's a, an example of this in one of the feasts that's being established, the Feast of Tabernacles, where God would say to the Israelites, when you come before me, I want you to bring a palm branch, which is a symbol of victory and joy, but I also want you to bring with you the willow branch, which is a sign of defeat. It's a sign of mourning. There's the cost and there's the reward as you follow Jesus. There's always that tension. Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, you know, declaring himself to be the Messiah, riding on a donkey, a humble animal, not a, you know, a, a warrior steed or some kind of mighty entrance, but, you know, coming humbly and some are rejoicing. Jesus is weeping. Coming into the city, some, some know that this is, you know, their king, and yet there's also going to be sacrifice. There's rejoicing, there's rebuking. I, I want to just kind of take us into that story a little bit and talk about the cost and the reward of discipleship. So, so open your Bible to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 We'll pick up the story at verse 28. This is the story of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem with great cost and with great reward. Verse 28 we read, And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you where you enter, and you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever set lucid, and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why, you shall say, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, Why are you loosing the colt? They said, The Lord has need. 
And they brought him to Jesus and threw their clothes on him and the colt and they sat on him and they went and many spread their clothes on the road. And he was drawing near the mount, the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. Praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And this is what they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. Rebuke your disciples. And he said to them, I tell you that these should keep silent. The stones would immediately cry out. And as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. This um, donkey story has always been somewhat intriguing to me. Jesus tells his disciples, just two of them, go over into a nearby village and steal this donkey. Kind of says that in a way. And Jesus never does anything, you know, for uh, just off the top of his head. It always has a purpose. It's not like he, you know, went over to the other ten and said, you'll never believe what I've just asked these two guys to do. They're going to another city and they're going to steal the donkey. He's got a purpose. You know the purpose. Zechariah talks about this. It's prophesied that there'll be this Messiah coming in on a donkey. Around Easter time, I, I, um, I've got grandkids now. It's an amazing experience. In the last five years, we've had six grandchildren born. Like popcorn. You guys familiar with popcorn? They just started coming like popcorn. And for Easter, they all came over to the house. And um, we had lunch and we hung out. And my wife, she... Um, she had bought this thing from a Christian bookstore that, that Christians have um, created and marketed to rip off other Christians during Easter time. And it's called Resurrection Eggs. Are you guys familiar with Resurrection Eggs? You will be. We don't normally do the egg thing at all. But Lynn had these, my wife Lynn had these Resurrection Eggs. And she said, John, after we spend time with the family and lunch and all that, I would love for you to tell the kids the Easter story from the resurrection acts. So I said, well, okay. So we get them all together, these little bright-eyed little boys and girls, and there's this little basket full of multicolored plastic eggs. And so I, I open the first one, and there's a little donkey in it. I hold up the little donkey. I go, hey, look, a little donkey. You guys know the story of the donkey, how Jesus comes, you know, riding into... And it's, it's full of props, so you can tell the story. You don't even have to know the story that well, because each little prop reminds you of what the story's like. So out comes a little donkey, and I go, hey, little donkey. You, you guys remember when Jesus sent his disciples to steal a donkey in a village? And my little five-year-old... Uh, Pop, Jesus would never steal a donkey. I said, well, he kind of did this time. And then, then you open the next egg and, you know, there, there's a little communion cup and you tell them how they're, you know, gathered up in the upper room and they're having communion. Then there's another egg and, you know, there's, there's some praying hands and you tell how they went to Gethsemane. And then there's another egg and you open it up and it's a whip. 
Uh, so you better pay attention or I'm going to, no. You, you, just, you know how they, they abused him and it goes all the way through to the, to, through each little step and you know, then there's a little rock right before it ends and you say how they put the sealed up the tomb and then there's one last egg. And you, you know, you build up this story and they're looking, they're looking. And what do you think is going to be in this one? You open it and it's empty. And you talk about the empty tomb. But this, this donkey thing, this, this, this empty tomb, this donkey, this, this cost, and this reward. Jesus, in a very public way, now demonstrates who he is. There's hosannas. But there's also a group from the side that says, Hey, rebuke your disciples. Stop this. The psalmist says that this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice in it. It was that day, the very day, that the psalmist was talking about. And so here he is, coming into the city. And I know every day is special with the Lord. But this day when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem was a day they had longed for and waited for and anticipated and were beginning to rejoice in, but it was also a sorrowful day. There are special days in our lives. The day you're, of your marriage. What a, what a great day. My wife and I have been married for 37 years. There's cost. And there's reward. There is. The day your children are born. If you have kids, you know, your wife is, is pregnant for, for nine months. It's a lot of costs going through that whole scenario. The un, you know, pleasant experience of all the different things that happens to the woman when she has that pregnancy time. And man, you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, there's the day, you know, when the child is born. There's a lot of cost. Then the child's born. Still cost. <laughs> then, you know, they begin to grow. More cost. Teenagers, beyond cost. And then finally one day, the grandkids are born. Reward. <laughs> there's cost, there's reward, all through life. And so Jesus comes in on this day. There's a, there's a price, there's a cost that's about to occur. The cross is before him. But he sees great reward. Many were waiting, many were looking, many were expecting his coming. They knew the prophecies, they knew the Psalms. Some were not. Some were rebuking, some were denying. I submit to you it's the same today. There's a lot of people looking for his coming. They see the signs. They know the prophecies. They have their eyes on Israel. They watch what's going on in the hearts and the minds of the culture around us. And they see the, well, the hearts of many have grown cold. Grown cold to the scriptures, grown cold to one another. The, the love of many has grown cold. You see it, you know it. The senseless violence, the, 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 just the hardening of the heart in our world today. The disregard for human life. Just before we came over here in David Guzik's hometown, 
Some young man in his 20s who felt rejected by women on his college campus. He, he went around and he murdered some of his own roommates and took a gun and drove up the streets of Santa Barbara and just began to shoot young women. I mean, this is something that we see now almost monthly, weekly, as, as we see the signs. We, and so we're saying, Lord, we expect you to come. Another sign of the end times. Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 3 as he's discussing what the churches will be like when he comes. He mentions the church. He says it'll be lukewarm. Lukewarm. L lukewarm is, is kind of like water. If, if you leave this water in this cup, don't put ice in it. Don't heat it up. Pretty soon the water becomes, well, lukewarm, which means it adjusts itself to the room temperature. And that's what happens in the end times. The church begins to adjust itself to the culture around it. The culture says, hey, premarital sex, involved in immoral relationships, divorce my wife for no reason, I want to be happy. Hey, it's okay. And so the church pretty soon becomes like the world around us. Becomes lukewarm. It happens in so many different ways and so many different, you know, uh, situations where, hey, it's okay to get drunk and party and I'll go to church next Sunday and, and, and it's no, no big deal and, and all this disregard for authority and leadership. Man, the church pretty soon is hard to distinguish from the culture around it like a glass of water that's hard to distinguish between the temperature around it. It becomes lukewarm. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus comes in to Jerusalem. There's a price to pay. There's a reward to have. And the signs of a prophecy are all around. And, and many miss it. He's paying the cost. And he will come again and many will be looking for him. And, and you might say, you might say, well, how do you, how, how do you pay the price? And what's the cost? And, and, and let's talk about the reward. Well, go back with me to Luke chapter 19. Here comes Jesus into the city. He, he's coming in, you know, humbly. He's coming in lowly. We started with verse 28 where it said, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had said what? What did he tell them before he went in that they would be aware of as what was about to transpire would transpire? Well, we'll go back to verse 11. This kind of sets the stage for the context of the cost and the reward. It says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Why? Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And he wants them to know, no, there's a cost and there's a reward. And here's what he says, listen. A certain man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas or minas or let's say three months salary. Said, do business till I come. But verse 14, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how each man had gained from trading. 
Then came the first saying, your, your mean is earned ten. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you are faithful and little, you have authority over ten cities. And the second came, hey, it's earned five. You also over five cities. Another came saying, here's your mean. I've kept it. Put it in a handkerchief. I feared you. You're austere. You collect what you don't deposit. Reap what you don't sow. And he said, out of your own mouth, I'll judge you, you wicked servant. You knew I was like this, collecting what I don't and reaping what I don't. When, why didn't you put it in the bank? I could have at least collected some interest. And he said to those who stood by, take it away from him and give it to another. I said, he has 10 already though. And he said, to everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken. But bring here those enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And when he had said this, he went up to Jerusalem. Jesus talking about his kingdom. Listen, talking about cost and talking about the reward of his kingdom and of those who would follow after him. Look what it says in verse 14. His citizens hated him and said, we will not have this man reign over us. The first step, the first cost of discipleship is surrender. That's where it begins. Lord, I will have you reign over me. I will recognize who you are. I will surrender to you. And we all have, I believe, a difficulty with surrendering our lives to Jesus. I know for myself, it's an ongoing process. Constantly saying, okay, yes, Lord, I need to surrender. But we all have a problem with authority in general. Who's he or who's she to tell me what to do? You know, if I were to come up here and say, hey, some of you guys back there sitting in the back, come on up here and sit in the front. You might think, who does that American think he is? God told me that this is my section back here. I always sit back here. Pastor Jim wouldn't know what to do if I sat somewhere else. And we, we resist authority. We, we have problems with it sometimes. And Jesus says, hey, I got to reign over you. You got to be surrendered to me. If you're not surrendered, if you're not watching, if you're not looking, if you're not ready, you'll miss it. The first cost of discipleship is surrender. Then there are those in the story, he says, as he makes his way, that I've invested in, that I've given to. And how much had God given to the people of Israel? He had loved them. He had nurtured them. He had brought them into the land. He had blessed them. And now here comes his son. And God invests in us. God has a purpose. God has a plan for where he puts you and what he gives you and what he equips you with. And one said, well, I, I was afraid. I didn't want to do anything. I, and, and he missed the reward. He missed the plan. He missed the reason. He missed the whole thing of what he was invested in for. Israel missed it. And Jesus comes riding into your life, so to speak. He comes very humbly. He comes very lowly. He comes knocking very gently. And he says, surrender to me. And we've got to choose. 
And if we surrender, then he says, okay, I'm going to invest in you. And he begins to give you, and he begins to change you, and he begins to equip you. And then he begins to say, now take what I've given and, and use it. And some of us say, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. And some just outright reject him. That's what the Pharisees did as they stood by the side. They just said, hey, rebuke those disciples. You're not who they say you are. They wanted them to be silenced. And there are a lot of people in your culture and in my culture who don't want you to respond to the truth. Listen, they don't even want you to talk about it. They don't want you to live it. They don't want to hear it. But I want you to listen. He's invested in you. He's revealed himself to you. He's called you to that place of surrender. And, and there's a lot of people who say, well, hey, you know, talking about Jesus or, or biting me to church or giving me your religion or however you want to put it, it's, it's, it's not right. It's uncomfortable. It's, it, it's not acceptable. Uh, keep your religion to yourself. And I think if we're not careful, those from the side who are saying, silence your disciples, if we're not careful, we begin to believe what the culture says. Well, yeah, you know, we should kind of, you know, everybody has their own rights and privileges. And I want you to hear this. Those people whom God has placed you in the midst of, who are on the sides, who don't know him, they have a heart that was created by God to know Jesus Christ. And long before you ever share anything with them, he's been calling to them. He's been working on them. It was that way in my life. And, and more than anything else, what they need and they must hear and someone must tell them it, is that they can be forgiven, they can be loved, they can be called, they can be set free. They've got a heart that was created for that. Paul, the apostle, said all creation is groaning for him. And even though on the outside it may not look like it, don't let the culture tell you that that person or that couple or that family doesn't want to hear about Jesus. Deep down inside, they've been created to hear about Jesus. And their heart will respond truly to the Spirit of God that speaks through you because that's his purpose, that's his plan, that's why he's invested in you. He's called us all to that. So some will not take what he offers. And some will miss his plan. Some will miss his purpose. But there are those in this passage, look what it says, that Jesus says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, that's the group I want to be in. That's the ones I want, I want to take whatever he will invest in me and give to me and, and place in my hands and in my life and say, Lord, hey, look, I took it. I, I, whatever the cost was, the fear, the risk, the, whatever, and I invest it, and here you go, it's, it's yours. Look what happens in this story, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees called to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, Hey, the stones will cry out if they don't. And as he drew near, he saw the city. 
And he wept over it. Look what happens. He, he goes on and says, he says to, he, this is what he's saying to Israel, to Jerusalem. If you'd known, even you this day, the things that make for your peace. But now, you've missed it. They're hidden from your eyes. And the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and they'll level you. You're going to suffer now. You missed it. He says something here that kind of, as he goes on, and your children within you to the ground, and they'll not leave one stone upon a stone. Jesus knew, listen, even though many worshipped, many also did not. And he said, there's going to be a fall. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be difficulty. And he said, not only will it be yours to suffer, but your children within you. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I don't have a big heritage of a faith family. I was a high school dropout. At 18 years of age, I had this radical conversion to Christ. I came to the Lord and he, he sent me back to high school because I wanted to finally make my mom happy. I had disappointed her a lot. I went on to college and unlikely that I would ever go and then actually on to seminary and I had never dreamed that I would be someone who would pursue that path. Because the way I grew up, at 13 my mom became a, a, a single mom. She had five kids. I was the middle child. Older brother, older sister, younger sister, younger brother. Right in the middle. Therefore, the most well-balanced of them all. <laughs> Actually not. But my dad, oh, my biological father, immoral, angry, come home drunk sometimes. He would hit me, he would hit my older brother, he, he would hit my mom. And when he finally was out of the house, we were somewhat relieved. And, I, and you know, that was the world I kind of grew up in, and, you know, of anger and fear and hostility. And, 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 and hadn't I not come to Christ, I don't think my life would have been much different than my dad's. Immoral, probably divorced, drinking drugs. But, but because of recognizing who Jesus was and saying, okay, Lord, if you can really do something, I surrender. And I'll take whatever you give me and I'll invest it in your kingdom. And see, now at this stage in my life, I have the privilege of passing on to my kids and my grandkids See, see, I get to stand up or sit down and on Easter with a bunch of little bright-eyed little kids looking at me and go, little donkey. Hey, look at this, little whip. Now, whip means a whole different thing in my mind. But what I get to pass on to them is a whole different story than what was passed on to me. And instead of on Easter saying, hey, I'm going to go get drunk and party and, you know, do some drugs and who cares about church and be, that's not the legacy I've got. 
I've got, I've got my kids and uh, I've got my grandkids and, 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 and I'm passing on a legacy. And here's, here's kind of what I want to leave you with. You're leaving a legacy of some kind. He's invested in you. You, you you've surrendered to him, and and he's taken these these gifts, these talents, this church, this neighborhood, these these kids, these friends, all this that he's placed in your life. And he says, "Now I'm coming back one day, and I want you to take what I've given you. Now that you've surrendered to me, invested in my kingdom." Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they missed it. He's coming back again. And I pray that you and I will not be lukewarm. That we'll not be sucked in and drawn into the apathy of the culture. This is the day that the Lord has made. Don't miss it. Don't, don't think as well, it's going to be a couple, you know, six months from now, eight months, I'll finally get my act together. No, this is the day. This is the day to surrender. Uh, uh, you know, when, when Jesus was speaking to the, to the church that had grown lukewarm, you know what he said to them? Not the vomit part, I'm not talking about that part. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That was a church he was talking to. Those were believers. And sometimes I feel that he knocks on my heart and he goes, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you spending your time about? If you'll open, I'll come in and we'll, we'll get together again and you'll be refreshed and you'll be strengthened and, and I want you to take what I've invested in your life. John, I'm coming back. Don't miss it. Leave a legacy that's worth leaving. And I would say to you as I end this time, he stands at the door and he knocks. And if there's anything at all you need to lay aside, anything you need to pull out of or say, Lord, I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. I, I want to take what you've invested in me. See, life is short, isn't it? I mean, I'm 95 years old. <laughs> I feel like it. Life is short. I, 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 I end with this little story. I'm going to stand out here. I, I go to this little fitness club. I know it doesn't look like it. And once in a while. And, and work out. The main thing I do is, is get on this little elliptical bike. You guys know those bikes where you just kind of go up and down, but you never go anywhere. You're just up and down. It's to get your heart rate up and to sweat and make you feel like you did something. So I'm in there and I'm doing my elliptical thing and wearing my little headphones. And um, it's up on the second story of this building that looks across a highway that runs through the little city that I live in. I live in a little small town. There's two red lights in the town I live in. I was born there. I've lived there all my life. 
And so I've also been pastoring in that same town for 31 years. So I'm up on my elliptical and I'm looking across the street from upstairs and across the street is a cemetery. It's the only cemetery in our city. So here I am, listening to my music, and I'm looking at a cemetery. And I'm thinking, here I am, I'm going nowhere, but that's where I'm really going one day right over there. Because I've done a lot of funerals. And 31 years of pastoring a church, which is a fairly good-sized church for our community, I've done a lot of funerals. The very first one I ever did was one of my best friends who helped me start the church. We were both 30 years old. One day his wife said to me, Jan said, hey Chris has these lumps on his neck and he keeps falling asleep all, every evening when we're talking. And Would you please make him go to the doctor? Chris, man, what's going on? I don't know, just something, you know, it'll go away. I said, maybe you should go get it checked out. Jan says, you're falling asleep all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. You know how guys are. He goes. Chris was dead six months later. My first funeral. We prayed and prayed and believed and asked and begged. God took him. He's over in that cemetery as I'm... My second funeral was a little two-year-old girl who fell in a, a bed of fire ants that swept over her body. She went into anaphylactic shock and she died too late, two days later. I'm standing in the cemetery. There's a little white casket. Someone singing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Everybody's crying. I could go on and on and on young girl in our church, beautiful girl, her boyfriend took her out Christmas Eve and drove her into the woods and pulled out his gun and said, if I can't have you, nobody will. I did her funeral. My, my brother, who's 60 years old, two years ago out surfing, he was a professional surfer. I've been in the surf industry for a long time. Out surfing, came out of the water, felt his chest was kind of tight. He was a father figure to me. I didn't have a dad. He called 911. They, they came. He coded right on the gurney. Uh, never saw him again alive. He's over in that cemetery. My, my mom just died a year ago. She's over there. My stepsister's over there. My, my stepfather's over there. My, my mother's my, my, my wife's father's over there. I could go on and on and on. 31 years in the same church, one cemetery in the town. I'm on my little elliptical bike. Got my music on. I'm looking at the cemetery. And I'm thinking to myself, life is like a vapor, like a morning fog. It appears for a while. The life of man, he, he flowers, he, he's strong for a while, he, he's got all this that's been invested in him, and suddenly it's over. And Jesus says, hey, I stand at the door and I knock. I've invested in your life. Now stop and think about what's important and what's real. But I want to do this and this. Well, well there's a cost, and there's a reward. We 
will you surrender to me? And you know what? No matter what it is that you have to give up or put to the side or, or say, you know, I'm doing this for the Lord. Listen, you will never, ever regret being surrendered to Jesus Christ because the reward will be well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful over this? Here. Be faithful over this. Lord, help us to be faithful. Not famous. Not people that others have to go wow about. But to take what you've invested in us and use it for your kingdom. Let us recognize who you are, be surrendered to you, and may we leave a legacy that speaks about you. Don't let us miss it. Let us embrace all that you have and be all that you've called us to be. We ask it, we pray it. Help us to be good disciples in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.